We're Suze and Meg. We've been friends for over 20 years and now we're 40. Join us on 40 Things at 40 as we explore this new decade of life. We've each made a list of 40 things to try and we're cheering each other on. Listen in as we chat about our adventures, getting older, and why pushing outside our comfort zone is so important. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 40 Things at 40 podcast. My name is Meg Uren. Today's date is, what's today? Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. Welcome to episode eight of the podcast. It feels real legit um, with eight episodes. With me, as always, is my partner. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. This is Susan Shepley. Thanks for joining us again this episode. And we're pleased to have a special guest with us, Kat from the YouTube channel Ditching Diets and Die. And we're super excited to talk with her about the project she's been working on and the content on her YouTube channel and to learn about her work in the world. So welcome, Kat. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. We are thrilled to have you. And I wonder if we could start um, by having you tell us a little bit about your channel, Ditching Diets and Die. How did this come about? Yeah, so this is, I am one of the many women who had to confront her gray hair Mm -hmm. when everything shut down last year. And I had done a little, just, just a tiny bit of research in advance because of a friend who went through transitioning her gray hair a number of years ago, we worked together. So she told me about all the amazing resources and groups on Facebook and women sharing their experiences. So around the three month mark into my last root cover up, (laughs) I recognized that maybe am I could it is it possible that I'm ready for this so I started to consume content from other women who had gone before me especially younger women so at the time last year when I was debating this I was 39 right and I I I went to that friend's backyard she invited me over to hang out in the backyard and I walked into her her place and she just was aghast she said oh my god i love it she, you know she just loved this elders and i kind of thought oh oh okay now obviously she had already transitioned her hair and so this was something right. she was really comfortable with but it really was that kind of turning point for me to say maybe i maybe i can do this because prior to that every time i went to cover up my gray hair every single appointment i would say okay so when it's time in maybe 10, 15 years, Mm. what's it going to be like? And I was constantly consumed with the thought of what the transition would be like. So I personally last summer started to watch content on YouTube and joined some different groups on Facebook to hear other women's stories. And I noticed that there were a lot of women watching YouTube videos, but not a lot of women sharing their experience. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, maybe I can share my experience. So maybe I can start to put out content. And obviously there are women like myself who want to hear from other people who are doing this. What's it like? What's their experience? So a few months later, around six months into the um, dye-free period is when I finally kicked off the channel. Now the, so that's the dye part. Yes. The ditching diets part, just, I noticed that the two coincided. So last winter, I had decided to genuinely give intuitive eating a real try. Sort of had a false start thinking I was eating intuitively and I was not. And so I was really giving a concerted effort towards 
the intuitive eating approach. And I realized that they were very much in service of the same goal, which is that I wanted to stop fighting my body. So covering up my hair every five weeks, that was me trying to fight the gray. And every time the gray would start to come back, I would just feel this sinking sensation. And same thing with dieting is that I always felt like I was fighting my body and trying to come up, what's the next thing I can do so that I can change my body. And it was just all this constant battle. And I had kind of, I had kind of convinced myself that, you know, oh, I'm doing this for health and nutrition, but I just realized I was caught up a lot in diet culture. So those two things happened at the same time. And I thought I would share about both. Amazing. I know we both, you could, you can't tell from our faces, but we both have so many, I'm so excited. I have so many questions for you because I think what you said that resonated with me is this idea of things experienced and not just by women, but I think about there's, there's sometimes a sense of things that we might experience as women. And then when we go looking for those voices and those services and those, you know, supports, there's not enough content out there to help us navigate what it is. And so I love the fact that part of your motivation is just to sort of have the service element too, because once it's out there and created the content, it can find people in so many different ways. And so I just, I love that. Um, and I, I want to, I want to ask you all the things, but I'm going to try to stick to our prescribed questions as much as I can. Lots of things taking away from it. And I, and I love your philosophy and maybe this will sort of come out of um, why ditching diets and dyes and, and what that rooted in for you. But as a general question, then let me ask you, what have you learned in broad strokes through this process? What are your, some of your key takeaways? I think Something that I have learned firsthand is that it there there's a there's a really large degree of trust, mm. and it is very scary. I think for both both of these endeavors were they filled me with some dread. What if this goes horribly wrong? What if I fail publicly? What if it's what if I look horrible? What if I eat every single thing in front of me? All those all those concerns that come up yeah. with both of those. Will I look haggard and washed out? Will I, you know, just gain a ton of weight and my body will be completely out of whack? All the questions that come up, they're, they're genuine concerns. I, yep. I had them and I decided to go forward with it anyway, kind of trusting that the people who had shared their experiences, so both women who had transitioned their hair, talked about the freedom that they felt and women and men, but mostly women in this case, who had actually done intuitive eating properly like with the right resources, the right approach, they said it does get better. And yes, there's that, there's that messy period. So both of these things have a messy period. For sure. <laughs> and they, they both involve a really high degree of trust. But when you get onto the other side of that, there is, it does feel like true freedom. And that's really incredible. But I understand why so many people stop short. They will start and then there was like, nope, I am not ready. And I think you're only ready when you're ready and no sooner. I fully believe that. And you yeah. cannot pressure it. It has to be 100% coming from yourself. I do think the pandemic did kind of push my hand a little I because yeah. I didn't think I was ready. So I was sort of forced to confront my hair. But I had already started exploring on the side around intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. How did you, Kat, sort of manage your mind and your fears as you were going through the process. It sounds like community and connecting with other people who've been through similar experiences have been important, but were there 
yeah, some other ways that you manage those feelings. So you stuck with it. Yeah, that's a really good question. They were, I'd say different approaches. So having on the gray hair side, I think it was a little bit easier because there are large communities of women who are just out there eager to help you. Yes. On the intuitive eating side, I would, there are some communities and I did, I joined an intuitive eating forum, but I didn't, didn't connect with it the same way. And I also, when I talked about intuitive eating with, you know, some colleagues and friends, they would start to just tell me their, their next diet. They didn't, they didn't realize it at the time, but they were telling me all the ways that they were still really rooted in the diet culture. So for me, what really helped was the books. So in particular, the book Intuitive Eating was really important for me to read the full thing. My, when I said I had a false start, it's because I read the workbook thinking that was enough. It was not. Reading the actual book and then using the workbook is the way to go. But the other book that helped me was um, The Effort Diet by Carolyn Duner. That one, and I did sort of create my own path based on what I took from both of those books. And that was really helpful. I did follow some other you know, intuitive eating type uh, nutritionists and dietitians online and surrounding myself with that as well. But I did actually find it hard to talk about with other people. Right. There was just either a lack of understanding or sort of assumptions about what I was actually trying to accomplish. That was really difficult. And then also people would just start to talk all about their diet. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that, but it's, it's really the opposite to that yeah. to person. I, I, I feel like they kind of missed the part where I said, right. I don't want to be consumed with diet culture. I don't want to fight. Like, I, I really want to just start to trust my instincts and my body. And they're like, yeah, that's why I have this type of smoothie. And I do this with, you know, with fat and carbs and all that. And I just, I was like, I, okay. So I would just leave. I would usually just let them talk and then realize this is not going to be a place where I'm going to continue to have conversations about this journey. Right. And I know one of the things that came up in one of your videos that you talked about was the notion of authenticity, particularly as it relates to things like dyeing our hair. And uh, a viewer, one of your YouTube viewers, had asked kind of what the relationship is, or, or you'd had some conversation about that topic, and or can you be authentic and still dye your hair, or are you more authentic if you don't? Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and sort of your feelings on that subject and, and what you've been thinking? Because I'm sure you've been giving it lots of thought. Yeah, that, that came out of a comment from a viewer where they had noticed a lot of other women who had started their gray hair transition. In the comments, they had made reference to feeling more authentic. And so this particular viewer, they commented saying, I feel like there's a lot of judgment in that as right. if you are somehow more authentic if you don't dye your hair. And I don't agree with that. And really you could tell that they felt judged because they are not, they are continuing to dye their hair and they're not transitioning to their natural hair. And so I, when I saw that, I understood, I kind of empathized with that perspective that of course, if you read that and, and someone says, if someone said you are more authentic, if you don't dye your hair, that to me is very loaded. Yeah. So I went back and I searched the comments that had the word authentic. And what I found when I read those, my interpretation was that women were just saying, experiencing how they feel and saying, I feel more authentic since making this decision or since deciding to do this. And so I do think that 
the commenter who pointed out judgment felt judged because that's how she interpreted that and that's how she read into it. Yeah. So I was sharing that with a friend of mine who said, well, why don't you talk about authenticity? So I did spend some time thinking about this concept of authenticity and really what it came down to for me was, is there fear involved? So what's, what's driving your decision-making? Are you dyeing your hair because you are afraid of your natural hair showing? And is that, is that the factor? And so for me, that absolutely was what was going on. Right. It was fear sending me back every five weeks to pay way too much money to get my roots touched up. I didn't want anyone to see my gray hair. I felt like I, it was too young. I would be judged. I would look washed out. All those fears were the thing that was driving me. And so the other example, and I think the, the commenter had said, well, what about makeup? Or what about clothing? Or if you wear Spanx or whatnot? And so, and I thought about that because I love makeup. I, I think makeup is fun. I love wearing it. And I thought, does that make me less authentic? Right. And I realized fear is not driving me towards makeup. Enjoyment is. I, I like the colors. And also I will fully show up on camera without makeup because I'm not afraid of showing my face. So I, that, that to me was what delineates whether or not you're authentic is, are you doing it because it's, it's who you are and it's a way you express yourself? There are people with purple hair and blue hair who are so authentic and that's just one of the ways they choose to express themselves mm -hmm. versus feeling like you have to hide or be a, a different way. And a few other people after I released that com the video on authenticity, I had some people sort of chiming in saying, yeah, is it, are you doing this for yourself or are you doing this for other people? And I thought that was a really good factor as well. It's, it's the thing I wrestle with the most cat. I got to tell you because, and I'm aware, right? You know, the podcast is 40 things at 40. We have overwhelmingly connected with people who are 40, but we're hopefully branching off into all. But I think a key theme of our podcast is this idea of aging. What does it mean to age? What does it mean to turn 40? Like when, when you turn it, what does that mean for you? And how can you make this experience one that you can lean into enjoy as opposed to one that you kind of shy away from? And, and, gray hair really relates so nicely to this because it happens at the same time typically right we get older not always but we get older and then we develop things and we adjust and then we have to kind of make a decision about what that experience is going to be like so for me my gray is only just starting to come in and so now i'm wrestling with this uh decision right do i do I dye it? And I, I thought a lot about what you said, you know, if I was to color my hair, would I be doing it because I just want color and I like the idea of, you know, having it and being that expressive or would I do it because I don't, I hate the term washed out. I don't know if you hate it, but I very much hate it. Like with gray, the idea, Suze was talking to me about some cool metallic color that's in and people are dyeing their hair gray. So there's like a lot of cool things happening. But it, it made me really, really think about that question. If I was to color my hair, am I doing it because um, that's just an expression and that's something I'm doing it? Or am I doing it because I don't want to appear old or unprofessional? You said something about professionalism. And I was like, oh, that's so true. That somehow if a woman walks into a place with gray hair, do we somehow come across as less professional? Because as women, we're expected to look a certain way. So it really, really resonated with me. Well, I'm glad it, it maybe made you think a little bit about what's driving that decision-making. Because I do think um, a friend said to me last year, or no, two years ago, she said, 
you know, intuition is really quiet and fear is really loud. Right. And that, that has always stuck with me. It's one of my favorite quotes because it's, it's so true. We have to get really quiet to listen, really listen to our intuition. But fear is just screaming at us every single day, telling us all the ways that we need to be and we need to change and what's wrong with us. Yes. And so it's, it's really difficult to, to not only hear the voice of your intuition, but then to actually say, all right, I'm going to let you drive instead of fear because fear wants to take the wheel every single time. Mm-hmm. And it really just to me, it, it comes back to what you were saying about trust. It's like trust and fear in so many ways are, I'm not sure if you'd say they're the opposite, but they definitely can be combatants. So where trust can be aligned with intuition, fear is so loud, like you say, um, that it can get our attention. But when we get back to trusting ourselves, it's like that there's this great quote about when you trust yourself, then you'll know how to live. And I always think about that one. And, and like that. yeah, that's really what's coming through to me through this conversation with you, Kat. I know I have a lot of, okay, great. Great. Uh, it's very helpful for me personally, um, because then I can really make an informed choice. It also relies though to something I was told. So Kat, just think about if you do turn 40, when you turn 40, not if you do. Let's, yeah. Oh, I, did. I turned 40. Oh, yeah. You, you did? Oh, You've had? Okay, well then, 40-year-old, actually I'm a 41-year-old, uh, to 40-year-old, um, one of the pieces that I learned, because I asked people about, you know, what do they do in their 40s, and everybody tells me, you grow more into a sense of speaking honestly and truthfully about how you're thinking and feeling and that your filter comes off. So, and maybe that's the part of it that we can really lean into and embrace this idea of being who you are and not having to think so much about fixing it, changing it, modifying it all the time. My mom is 69. She's going to listen to this. So I know it's going to come up. Um, my mom is, uh, 68 and she, uh, only stopped dying her hair in the last year. And it's like a huge thing. So she was on all the blogs and she was telling me everything about it. And I didn't know, I hadn't seen her natural hair color since 19, like 92. Um, I think it's the last time I would have seen it. And so it's, I don't want to be 68, you know, I want to be somebody who can do it whenever it feels right to me potentially. But um, yeah, it makes me think anyways, side note. Well, my, my mom is in her early seventies. And when I told her I was doing this, she's like, good for you. I am still going to dye my hair. And I was like, all the power to you. Cause I right. do, I strongly feel, and I hope this messaging gets across that I want everyone to do what's right for them. Right. I am not sharing my story as a way to convince other people that they need to do this. I want to put it out there for the woman who is contemplating and has questions and is maybe thinking about it or they're in their journey as well, maybe just at a different point. It is in no way to tell people how to be and this is how you should do something. I I am also being candid about the changes I have experienced. I absolutely feel more freedom and that's amazing. And so if people can learn from that and see that they're maybe if they are feeling a little bit trapped or they're feeling like they're fighting, that there is an alternative and that there is this possibility for them. Absolutely. But if, if a woman's happy dyeing her hair, great. Power to you. Keep dyeing her hair. Great. Like that, that does not bother me at all. I love it. The folks who do it to the very end of their lives, that's going to be, you know, right until the bitter end. Um, Sorry, Suze, go ahead, my friend. I was just going to ask you, Kat, for people who are in the early days, who've made the decision, 
I want to give, whether it's intuitive eating a try, or I want to embrace my gray and they've made that choice. Are there some, I guess, maybe a few pieces of advice or, or suggestion you would give to those folks? Yeah, they, so they are two different approaches in my opinion. Okay. I would say that for the intuitive eating, it's 100% to read the legitimate resources. So reading intuitive eating, the, the, the actual book, um, I'm drawing a blank right now. I think Elise Reich and Evelyn Triboli, I believe are the, I don't know if I pronounced you them can, right. <laughs> you can give them to me as well. And I'll put them in the show notes afterwards. So people, yeah. if they want to know, and you're interested in finding out more, I'll put all of the links um, afterwards so people can, can find it. Yeah. And then the other one that I, I personally really appreciated was the Effort Diet from Carolyn Duner. Both of those to me were, and they might resonate in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, well, so I'll, I'll say that I'll come back to this point in a moment, but then for, for the gray hair, for anyone who's thinking about stopping dyeing their hair and transitioning to their natural hair is to find some sense of community because it is a roller coaster. There are days when you are going to think, nope, I'm not ready, but maybe you actually are. And so having people who can kind of talk you down, but also just seeing other people and their transition. So right. if, you can, if you're on Facebook and you can join a Facebook community, seeing all the amazing photos of women who look fantastic when you see their old hair and then you see their new hair and you think, oh my God, you look so vibrant. So all of those fears about looking terrible, it's, you know, maybe I can trust my body that it's going to look like it should when <laughs> I actually go through this. So I think finding those communities is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to go back for a second to so the intuitive eating one, um, when it comes to reading, reading those books, I think it's really, and maybe finding some sort of community, whether that is just following leaders who are actually know what they're talking about, because unfortunately intuitive eating has kind of been co-opted right. by people who are like, people are throwing the term around intuitive fasting recently. And, you know, there's just, it's, there's sort of, slapping on these labels but it's it's really embedded in that diet culture again and so i think you have to be really careful when you are are doing this and there are practitioners that you can work with who actually embrace intuitive eating and there are a lot of misconceptions about it a lot a lot of misconceptions and so i think making sure that you are going to those trusted resources is something that's really important so but i had started to to think last year, you know what, I'm going to read all the different books on intuitive eating and anti-diet culture, and maybe I'll do some book reviews on my channel and all of this stuff. And I actually, once I got the information I needed, I didn't feel like I needed to keep consuming it. Mm. And I recognized that the old me would want to latch onto something and sort of take on that identity of like, this is who I am now. I'm going to throw out all the old books. I'm going to just adopt this new thing. And that's my, and I realized that, you know, we have these really deep connections. We identify with certain things that we've decided are really important to us. And me wanting to talk about nutrition and about this intuitive eating journey, I actually was shocked when a few months into starting my channel, I realized I didn't want to talk about it anymore. And, and, and so I shared a video kind of explaining that when I started the channel, I thought I was going to be sharing a lot about this journey. And then 
that ended up not being the case. I actually don't want to talk about it all the time. And somebody, one of the regular commenters said, well, isn't that what freedom is? Like, if you have to keep on talking about eating intuitively, maybe, maybe you're not there. <laughs> and I thought that was a really, really excellent point. If you're, if you are constantly thinking and obsessing about it, it's, you're probably not experiencing freedom from that thing. Right. And just to go back to the, the, you know, you mentioned your mom and the, the dying hair. Yeah. One of the things that struck me is that I was around in, in my old job, I was around women who were, you know, 20 years my senior, great friends. We'd go out for dinner or lunches and they would say, oh, can I let myself have fries today? Or, you know, different, different little comments like that. And I thought, oh my God, will it ever end? Like it was, it was sort of a, a glimpse into just like maybe obsessively dying hair for fear of looking a certain way. Yeah. There's that, can I put this in my body? Am I allowed to have it? Should I treat myself to dessert or do I deserve it? Like all those words, I could see how deeply embedded they are into the culture. And I really wanted to make those changes now so that I save myself decades of obsessing about food. Right. So when you look kind of coming back to, to that word freedom, and now that you're officially 40, when you look out to the next decade or two, yeah, what does freedom look like? How, what are you hoping to bring into your life in the next decade or two? Good question, Suze. I like it. Well, I can tell you firsthand that like the hair, so the example with the hair, I just yeah. recorded a new video today and I was explaining in that video how I just don't think about it all the time. And when I see myself in the mirror, like I like how it looks right now, even though right now I've got the grand bray, I'm not, I have not finished my gray hair transition. I like it. I think it looks good, but also I'm not spending lots of time thinking about it. And same with the food. Yes. I am not spending all of, I used to spend so much time thinking about food, my next meal, what I'm going to eat, all the food that I wanted to eat that I wasn't supposed to eat. It was consuming so much mental bandwidth and I do not spend that time anymore. I spend it on my job and the things that I love doing and I'm teaching people and putting on a YouTube channel and doing all those other things. I've sort of freed up this space in my mind to be able to focus on the things that excite me. And it's really, it's an amazing feeling. So if I can keep doing that for the rest of my life, that's fantastic. That's amazing. I got to feel that because we're all the same age or roughly the same age. Did we all grow up with the message as children that whatever was on your plate, you were supposed to clean it? Like, yeah. <laughs> did you, because that we try to say that to my daughter who was seven, right? So I try to say things to her, you know, when we're having a meal, like eat until you're full uh, and then try to stop. And I was like, God, things that we were never told as children ever. I don't think at any point in my life did someone say, well, do you feel satisfied? I think it was just like, I have prepared this craft dinner for you. Um, and now you're going to eat it at this prescribed time. And now we're going to move on to something else. So probably a lifetime of undoing something that was reinforced, you know, if over a lifetime and continues to be for so many people. Right. Yeah. And also the messaging around morality and food is a really big one around, oh, this is bad. This is good. And the biggest shift when it comes to intuitive eating is so knowing that nothing is off limits. Now, if you are legitimately allergic to a food and it's dangerous, please don't eat it. Yeah. yeah. But when you, when you remove the barrier, mm -hmm. and 
everything is available to you as an option, you start to realize there's nothing is forbidden. And when nothing is forbidden, it loses its appeal. It is not the same when it's fair game. Right. So as soon as we start restricting and telling ourselves all the food that's bad for us so that we can't have, that's where we obsess about that food. We think about it and all of that stuff. And so what one of the things firsthand that I experienced was I started allowing myself to eat whatever it was that I felt like eating. I would go through the grocery store some days and see something I hadn't had in 20 years, like toaster strudels. I, I stopped toaster eating strudels. toaster strudels a really long time ago, but I saw yeah. them in the store and I thought, I'm going to have those. I brought them home. I had the toaster strudel. And I was like, this is, it's good, but it's not as good as I remember. And it's done. Like now did that it I have the little icing pack because oh, yeah, that's what I remember. Yes, it did. Yes, <laughs> it did. Absolutely had the yeah. icing pack. Yeah. Um, so I was going back to some old childhood favorites and whatnot. And so that fear part was like, if you don't stop this, this is going to go down a real dangerous road. But my body was like, you know what? This is not that exciting. This is not as good as I remember. And, but you have to legitimately, you cannot fake not caring. Right. That is a really, really important point, both for your hair and for food. You can't fake not caring. Yes. You'll get to a point where you don't care, but you can't pretend like you don't care. Like, oh, I could have toaster strudels, but I just don't want them if it's not real. Like you have to actually experience. And so I think one of the books might've been Carolyn Duner's book. You have to eat your way to the other side. Mm. And that's terrifying for a lot of people, but I decided to just do it and trust it. And it was through that experience, like that experiential learning where yeah. you actually firsthand recognize this is not forbidden. It's on the table, so to speak. And I have the option to have it. And the only way you can trust yourself that it's legitimately on the table is to allow yourself to have the thing that you're thinking about. Um, and your body does eventually say, you know what, I, I need some vegetables <laughs> or like, I don't want this anymore. And, but you, you can only do that if you truly kind of hand yourself over to the, to the process. Amazing. I'm so thankful that you joined us today. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences with your YouTube channel and this amazing project you've undertaken. You've shared so many gems here. I'm definitely going to be re-listening. And I don't doubt that we'll, we'll hear from our listeners with questions and comments. If people would like to follow you and learn more, where can they find you online? So the best place is YouTube. I, I did start an Instagram <laughs> account, but honestly, I just having two separate accounts is overwhelming. And so yeah. I, I neglect it. I just fully admit I kind of neglect that account. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't really bother. Um, but on my YouTube channel, I do share regular content and I do engage with, you know, comments and try and answer questions and all of that. So that is definitely a way. And I do have a, a public, like my kind of regular Instagram account yes. which is at Cat Mulvihill. That one, I don't neglect as much. <laughs> so that is a way to engage as well. And like I said, I will put all of the links. So we'll connect afterwards, Kat, and get the books and the titles and I'll make sure it's available. So if people want to learn more, I mean, we could spend a whole time. Uh, and I think we'll definitely, if your game ask you back at some point and sort of revisit some of our conversations and build on it, because it's a process, right? It's not like we have, we, all three of us have figured out in this moment, everything there is to know, right? We're just continually learning as we go. But I echo what Sue says, it's been lovely. And um, just, we're so appreciative that you came on. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was really nice to talk to you both. 
you want to know more information about our list and see what we're going to be tackling this year, we'll put the 40 Things at 40 Facebook link in the show notes.